If you've ever uh, been to Disney World in Orlando, Florida, you know that it is somewhat of a journey from the moment you get into the parking lot until you get to the entrance to actually go into the park. I mean, you come into the parking lot, you got to stand in line to get on a tram, you ride the tram to the gate to buy the tickets, you stand in line to buy the tickets, you buy the tickets, you stand in line to get on a monorail, you take the monorail, you get to the place to enter the park, and you stand in line to enter the park, and then you finally enter the park. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, it is a journey. And it could be at least an hour or more by the time you get to the parking lot to the time you get into the park itself. Well, my family and I were down there. Our kids were really small, and we've gone through that whole journey, that process. We knew it was going to be that way, so we are pumped, standing in line at the turnstiles to get into the park. Now, we have our electronic tickets in hand. Now, I don't know what they do now. Back in that day, it was an electronic ticket. When you got up to the turnstile, you put it in the little slot. It popped up in the slot on the top. The turnstile turned, and you walked in. Well, we got up to the front. My, my wife went through. My kids went through. I put my ticket in. It pops up. The turnstile doesn't move. Put my ticket in, pops up, turnstile doesn't move. But same thing, and I, I, it doesn't work. So an attendant comes over, and he's standing on the other side. He takes my ticket. He crumples it a little bit and does things to it. And now he's leaning over the turnstile, trying to find the slot to put the ticket in. Well, I'm standing right there, and I'm thinking, dude, if you'll just hand it to me, I'll, I'll slide it in there. But he's got to do this on his own for some reason. And so he's trying to find the slot. He's just smashing the ticket all up against the... It's just crinkling and wrinkling. It's just, finally, he finds the slot, pops up, doesn't work. Goes to the same scenario, but this time as he's leaning over trying to find, find the slot, people come up and ask him where, I don't know, the Mickey Mouse review is or something. So he, he's trying to tell them how to get there, and he's trying to put the ticket in the slot. And I'm thinking, can't these folks get a map? And if you'll give me the ticket, I'll put it in the slot. No, he's got to do it. Puts it in, comes up, doesn't work. He takes the ticket, hands it to me, and says, Sir, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to go back on the monorail to buy another ticket. Wrong answer. <laughs> I said, I am not going back to buy another ticket. He said, sir, your ticket doesn't work. I say, I'm well aware of that. But that's not my fault. I bought the ticket. I'm here. I'm coming in. He said, sir, I cannot let you in this park without a good ticket. And I lost it. I put my finger in his face. Now, all this time, the line is stacking up behind me, man. They are just standing two by two behind me. And he said, I put my finger in his face. I said, I'm coming in that park. My kids are in that park. My wife's in that park. I bought a ticket. It's not my fault it doesn't work. I'm coming in that park. And when I did that, everybody behind me just scattered, man. They, they went to every other line that there was. And my kids' eyes are huge, and this guy is shaking, and he says, let me get my manager. I said, good idea. So he goes and gets his manager. His manager comes up. He does the same thing. He puts the ticket in, comes up, it doesn't work. And he says the same thing. Sir, you're going to take your... I said, I am not going to get another ticket. He said, I can't let you in. There's no way to override the system. I said, you mean to tell me this is a multi-billion... You can still see I'm upset about this. This is a multi-billion dollar park. And you can't override this system manually to let somebody in? And I actually used this word. I said, what kind of a Mickey Mouse system do you have? <laughs> And the guy realizes, I've got a lunatic on my hands. And so, so not to create any international incident, somehow he magically, manually lets me into the park. And he says, sir, I'm sorry. You know, and he takes me over, gives us a lot of free stuff, which was really cool and awesome. So if you want free stuff, just, free stuff, just berate one of the attendants. They'll give you all kind of free stuff. And he says, enjoy the park. I said, we will. And I looked at my kids and said, go have fun. I mean, this had disrupted 
the whole entire day. I mean, that became the main talking point of our entire vacation. It disrupted my attitude. It disrupted my mood. It disrupted my view of Disney. It disrupted my view of my children, my children to me. My wife already knows I'm an idiot, so it didn't bother her a bit. I mean, this is a major disruption that I did not handle well. And you know what? All of us can relate to disruptions coming into our lives that we did not anticipate. Stuff that changes our plans. It may be a slight detour in our plans, or it could be a major course correction. But we all know about disruptions that come into our lives. And Abraham of the Bible was very familiar with disruption in his life, especially from God. And perhaps the person that disrupts our lives the most is God. In fact, Abraham lived in the place called the Earl of the Chaldees, which was located in modern-day Iraq. That's where he grew up. That's the culture he knew. That's where his family was. That's where the people were that he loved. He knew how to live in that culture and what he was accustomed to. But then God sort of steps in and wants to disrupt his life. And in Genesis chapter 12, in the very first verse, we see how God steps into his life. And this is what he says to Abraham. He says, leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. He's saying to him, he's saying, look, I want you to leave the people that you love. I want to leave the, 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 the uh, uh, way of life that you're used to. I want you to leave the culture that you're accustomed to. I want you to go to a new land, to a new people, to a new place, and a new way of life. This, this is a huge disruption in this man's life. And to show you the, the breadth of the disruption, there's a, the map on the screen here. And I just want to show you how far he had to navigate to where God was telling me. If you look at the bottom right-hand corner, you see that aqua green spot there. That's the Persian Gulf. If you take about a 90 degree, uh, I mean about a 45 degree up left, you see that red line begins. That's the Ur of Chaldees right there. And, and that red line is the actual migration that Abraham took with his family to get to what we know as Israel today. So you look, he goes through about all of modern-day Iraq, all the way up and through all about modern Syria into Israel. On a straight shot from where the Ur of Chaldees is located to Tel Aviv is about 500 miles. But his, his journey was close to 900 miles. We're not talking about just moving across the street here. We're talking about huge, total disruption. And God says, you know what, Abraham, if you'll allow me to disrupt your life, there'll be a huge blessing as a result. And in verses 2 and 3, he tells us what this blessing is. He says this, he says, I will make you into a great nation, and I'll bless you. I'll make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. He's saying, Abraham, if you'll let me disrupt your life, I'll bring a tremendous blessing in your life, and you'll be a tremendous blessing to all the world. And God has kept that promise. Even today, because we see the land of Israel and the Hebrew people. That's what came out of this blessing. And this little bitty nation called Israel is a miracle nation. I mean, out of this nation, of all the Pulitzer, or excuse me, the Nobel Peace Prize winners, Israel has produced more Nobel Peace Prize winners than any other nation in the world. And Israel is a leading nation. And many of the advancements that you and I enjoy right now in our lives, many advancements in medicine, in science, in business, in education, in military. I mean, God has truly kept this blessing that he promised Abraham. And of course, the greatest blessing that blesses all of the earth that came out of Israel is Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, the savior of the world, the God in the flesh. 
The king that is coming back to set up God's kingdom on this earth where the ultimate, final, full blessing of God will be experienced by all those who follow Jesus Christ. But it was because Abraham was willing to be disrupted by God that this blessing came to pass. And this is what I call the disrupted blessing. It's a disrupted blessing because God disrupted Abram's life. He was willing to let him do it. And as a result, this huge blessing to all the earth has come. Well, Canton Campus, I call us a disrupted blessing. The Canton Campus is a disrupted blessing because so many of you allowed God to disrupt your lives in order to help us launch this campus and for many of you to start attending this campus when we opened. This, this journey for this campus began really about four years ago when I just really felt impressed of the Lord that we were going to have a new outreach into a new group of people that we weren't reaching presently at what we now call the Merida campus. I didn't have a new campus in mind. I really didn't know what that meant. I just felt like this is what the Lord was saying. But as we began to pray and study and look at it, more and more it kept feeling like this is going to be an actual new location New uh, place, new outreach, new model of ministry, same vision, same God. But man, this is going to be something that's really going to be disruptive in the, Mary, uh, the Mount Perrin North ministry. And it has been. I mean, we, we sent about 200 folks, those that helped to launch this and people that have started attending here from Marietta. Many of our key people out of the Marietta campus now attend here. Many of our key leaders, we had to replenish them. Many of our, out of our children's ministry, out of, out of the music ministry to develop the worship leading team that we have here. We had to develop a team, a teaching approach because I was the primary teacher. And let me tell you, it's much easier to do this on your own than to bring a couple of other people into it and start praying and planning in the way that we had to. I mean, this was a major disruption to this ministry. Oh, my goodness. But look what God has done. And it's because, it's because of your willingness for him to disrupt your lives. Many of you were attending Mary at a campus and you had the routine down. You knew it was going to be good most of the time. And, and you knew it was, it, was, it was something worth being at. And you had your routine. And then God disrupted you and said, I wanted you to be at Canton. And now you're getting up at the crack of dawn to come hang up some drapes or whatever. But because of your willingness, because of that, we have what we have today. We can celebrate today. But here's the deal. We're going to have to continue to allow God to make us a disrupted blessing as we move forward. And to see how we respond. Because I didn't respond to the Disney World thing very well. <laughs> and when God begins to disrupt my life, sometimes I don't respond to him very well either. But as we allow God to continue to disrupt us, to make us a disrupted blessing, how do we respond? We're going to look at how Abraham responded to be a disrupted blessing. Speaking of response, I'm not sure how to respond to being called a disruption. I'm assuming he means that in a positive way. But no, I, I think that's definitely the truth. We, we are a disruption, and, and, and Pastor referenced the idea that many of you, most of you, God disrupted your life in some way to bring you to this place. Maybe you weren't a part of the Marietta campus, and you were. we heard some stories of people that were looking for a church home, and, and, and were looking for a place to belong, and a place to connect, and a place to serve, and and you responded to that disruption and God connected your path with ours. And it's been incredible to watch because 
A disruption is one thing, and the response, our response to that disruption is a totally separate thing. Because God can, he can interject into this story that you and I are trying to write on our own, and hey, this is the way I'm planning it to work out, and this is what I'm going after, and this is what I'm going to accomplish, this is what I'm going to do. And then God disrupts that and says, hey, I've got this new plan for you. Exactly what he did in Abraham. Hey, I want you to leave the land that you're comfortable with. I want you to leave your family. I want you to take these, th- th- your close family here with you and go. And, and there was a choice that Abraham had to make, whether or not to respond to what God was calling him to do. Again, in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 4, we see Abraham's response. So Abram left as God told him. When I read this verse, I am not as much confronted with the idea that Abraham responded to what God said because God was asking something very difficult, I think of the conversation Abraham had to have with his wife. (laughs) Because I think Abraham had to show up to his wife and say, hey, we're moving. At which point she might be going, okay, well, where are we going? To which he would have to respond, I don't know yet. Just get in the buggy, whatever they had as a mode of transportation, get on the camel, and God's going to tell us when we get there. Like, my wife is a very gracious and loving and compassionate person, but I think she would look at me and go, you're not hearing from the same God I talk to, right? Because God just said to Abraham, hey, get up and go. And and Abraham, all we have here is that Abraham went as the Lord told him. We see this as a part of Abraham's legacy. We see this as a part of his story, who he was. If you read the next couple of chapters of Genesis, you see other examples and then references to this example of how God, how Abraham responded to God, to God, believed what God was saying to him. In Genesis chapter 15, we see it says here that Abram believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. God is is showing us that he credited righteousness to Abram because of his belief and response and action to what God was calling him to do. This continued even more. A couple of chapters later, we see that God said to Abram, said to Abram, hey, listen, um, you know that promised child that I said you were going to have? You know this, you know, you guys didn't have children and you're, you know, you're old and, and, and I'm going to give you a child and you thought that was crazy. Your wife laughed at me and, and all this stuff happened. And guess what? I gave you a child. And now what I want you to do is fulfillment of the promise. I want you to promise. I want you to do something that makes complete sense to me and probably none to you. I want you to go and kill the child. I want you to go and sacrifice Isaac, this promised child that I've given to you. And, and later in Genesis, I believe it's chapter 25, when God is renewing his covenant with Isaac, that promised son, he says to the son, listen, I'm going to fulfill the promise that I made to your father through you because your father was faithful. Because your father believed, because your father trusted me when it didn't make sense. Your father embraced the disruption that I gave to his life. And you and I have that same choice. When God disrupts our story, when God interjects into the plan that you and I are creating, and he says, hey, this is what I would actually like for you to do. I'd like for you to go here. I'd like for you to do this. I'd like for you to follow me in this specific direction. We have a choice. Do we respond or not? Jumping back to where Abraham is commanded by God to sacrifice Isaac, this promised child. I'm a father. I cannot imagine God asking me to do that. But Abraham responds. He says, let's go and do this. He takes his son. He takes the necessary uh, equipment there to offer sacrifice. He takes some servants with him, and they start out on this journey to go and sacrifice Isaac. And I want you to read with me. This is in Genesis, uh, just a couple chapters later from where we've been reading. This is in Genesis 22. 
He said to his servants, this is Abraham talking, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Mm. We will worship and we will come back to you. On the journey up the mountain, the son says to the father, I see everything that we need except the sacrifice. And Abraham says to Isaac, God will provide. God will provide. You know, the problem that you and I have sometimes, I won't indict you, I'll speak to myself. The problem that I have is that when God disrupts my plans, I am concerned with all of the details making sense before I ever start out on the journey. I need to make sure that A plus B equals C, that when I get there, it's all going to stack up, and that if I'm going to sacrifice something that I have, how, God, how are you going to deliver this? Isaac was the promise, the fulfillment. He was what you said I was going to have, and you're telling me to sacrifice him. This doesn't make sense. If you'll explain how this is going to work, then I'll go and do it. But we don't see that in Abraham. We don't see that he needed to know the destination before he set out on the journey. We don't, need, if we don't see that he needed to know how God would provide the sacrifice so that Isaac could still be the promise and the fulfillment of that promise. But we see that he had faith to know that God was going to keep his word. And you and I can know the same thing today. We can have the assurance that God is going to keep his word. Pastor referenced us as a body, as a community here, the Canton campus of Mount Perrin North, as a disruption. And, and we are. And God has disrupted your stories to bring you here. But guess what? God has been faithful. God's been more faithful than we knew he could be. God, we, we had some thoughts and plans and dreams about what this might look like. And some of those have come to pass, most of them in greater degrees than we even imagined. And there's been hundreds and hundreds of other things that have happened that we never could have imagined that just speak to the faithfulness of God keeping his word. But it's, it's awkward sometimes to be disrupted, Right? It's awkward because, again, we have our plans and our dreams and our hopes and our stories, and we're writing it out. Here's how we're going to go. This is what life looks like. It's awkward. But if, I'm, if I am a disrupted blessing, if we are a disrupted blessing, then we have to continue to be a blessing, right? God, speak through us. Work through me. And that's what we've seen. That's probably the greatest thing that we've seen through this campus is people giving of themselves to serve and to invite people. You know, we came to Canton. And if you've been around here very long, I reference this a lot. We came to Canton, not so that it was a closer drive for the people that attended the Marietta campus but lived up here. And I was one of those. We didn't come to Canton for that reason. You know why we came to Canton? Because we, we were following what God was speaking to Pastor Mark, that we wanted to reach and connect to people that maybe we weren't connecting to at our Marietta campus. And, and out of our prayerful study and, and just listening to the voice of God, we learned that there were 85,000 unchurched people within seven miles of where you're sitting. I want you to think about that number. 85,000 unchurched people within seven miles of this school. And we're going to reach them all. Every single one of them. <laughs> we'll have 92 weekend services in this room, by golly. No, we're going after the 85,000. Some of you were a part of that number. Some of you are sitting here this morning because we prayed and believed that God would keep his promise. And, and you're here because of that. But there's still work to do. And I have to allow myself to be disrupted, which pastor's going to talk about in a minute, so that I can be a blessing to others and that God can disrupt their lives so that they can be a blessing as well. You know, for us as a campus, there's some pretty incredible statistics and you can, you can look at statistics and glaze over your eyes if you want to, but there are two 
that a guy talked to me this last week. He's like the guru of what we do. Multi-site church. We have two sites, two campuses of Mount Perrin North. And in talking to him about our first anniversary coming up, he was asking me some questions about how things were going. And I was talking to him about our attendance. I was talking to him about our finances. I was talking about the people that are plugged into ministry teams and life groups and all these incredible things. And as we gave him some of those numbers, here's what he said. He, he, he consults with thousands of churches just like us that do this. He said, of all the multi-site churches, you guys rank within the top 10% of all those. There's 5,000 multi-site churches in the United States alone. He said, of all those, you rank within the top 10% of all those multi-site churches as it relates to your total attendance at the end of the first year. Seeing several hundred people gather together every Sunday, you, you guys... It, it speaks to God's faithfulness. He said, beyond that, you rank within the top 3% of the churches as it relates to finances. The faithfulness of giving that allows you to support ministry and missions around the world and missions in the local community. And the things that we do on Sundays for children and for students and for life groups. And top 3%. That, that doesn't speak to us. It speaks about God and his faithfulness to keep his promise. Right. And it speaks to you, allowing right. God to use you to bless others. You, you look at the story of Abraham. He wasn't just about, hey, I'm going to get up and go. I'm going to go and do something. He didn't say, I'm going to go and sacrifice my son. He understood that God was choosing to work through him to bless somebody else. The, 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 there's kind of two application points today. The first of them is that he allowed God to use him. Abraham did. He allowed God to use him. I want you to look at this in Genesis chapter 18. There, there is... A lot of things that you could see in the preceding chapters, but the idea that Abraham was setting himself up to be a blessing to others. And Abraham understands that the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, the, 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 the land there, it's going to be destroyed by God. And Abraham begins to petition God on behalf of Lot, who, who lives there. And this is what he says. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only 10? He's talking about the good and righteous people that live there. He had started at, a, at like 50 and worked his way down. He said, what if only 10 can be found there? He answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left and Abraham returned home. I want you to think about this. Abraham positioned himself between the judgment of God and the people away from God. And I believe that that's what you and I have been called to do. I believe that my responsibility, first and foremost, is not to stand up here most Sundays and preach to you. I believe that as a follower of Jesus Christ, my primary responsibility in following him is to stand before a just and holy God who must punish sin and between the people that are in my life that don't know him. And plead with God and petition them to see him. I, I, I want God to use me that way. I believe more than any sermon I could ever preach, the way that I interact with my neighbors and the kids and my, 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 the, the parents of the kids in my children's classroom when I go for a Christmas party or a Thanksgiving turkey something or other, how I interact with them. God, use me, if you would, to bless them. Disrupt their lives through me in the way that you've disrupted me to be a blessing, to shine the light on you. Would you use me to be a blessing? Abraham didn't have to do that. He had a covenant with God. He had a relationship with God. He could have just lived out his life and, and, and just kept following God and doing what he had to do. But he knew that it wasn't just about him. God blessed him so that he could be used 
by others. Not only did Abraham allow God to use him, but Abraham allowed God to use his stuff. Now, this is perhaps where it gets the most uncomfortable when God starts to disrupt us, when he starts messing with our stuff. And he starts wanting us to make our stuff more available to his use for his purposes through the local church. I mean, you know, we work hard for our stuff. We, we, we protect our stuff. We watch over our stuff. It's, it's our stuff. And then God begins to disrupt some more and goes, okay, I want some of that stuff. And man, that, that, that's where it can really begin to, to get uncomfortable. And, and, and there's a great story in Genesis 14 of, and, and, and Jeremy already referenced Lot. Lot was, was Abraham's nephew. And, and uh, 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 Lot has been taken captive, he and his family and other people out of Sodom because they got attacked by several different armies and they took a bunch of people captive, including Lot and his family, and they took a bunch of stuff from Sodom. And Abram got, uh, got word of this, and so he assembles an army of about 300 men and they go and they rescue Lot and all the rest of the people and all the stuff that they took. And they're headed back to Sodom to return it all. In the meanwhile, while they're headed back, two kings come out to meet Abram and this entourage, the king of Sodom, but also somebody, the king of Salem. And we pick up that story in in Genesis 14, beginning at verse 18. It says, then Melchizedek, king of Salem. Now, Salem is the ancient name for Jerusalem. So this king is the king of Jerusalem. Then Melchizedek, Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high. Now, what we know about King Melchizedek is that he's a prototype of Jesus Christ. I encourage you in the New Testament sometime this week, maybe go read Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7 connects this King Melchizedek to Jesus Christ. He's a prototype of Jesus Christ. So we have this prototype of Jesus Christ coming out who's the uh, uh, priest of God most high. Jesus Christ is the ultimate high priest. In verse 19, it says, And he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram, my God most high, by God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who delivered your enemies into your hands. Now look what Abram does. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. And this is the origination of what we, we call the tithe. And this is where it started. Abram's response to this blessing from this king, who is a prototype of Jesus Christ, is to just openly... Give him 10% of all his stuff. And this, this, this principle of the tithe carries out all through the rest of Scripture and is very much a part of what the local church does as well. Abram made his stuff available to God. I mean, a natural response to the blessing of a prototype of Christ is, is to openly give. And for those of us in this room, I know in myself, when I look at that, I think, man, he got blessed by a prototype. I've been blessed by the real thing. How might I need to respond with my stuff because of a high priest who took me out of sin into eternal life with him? Man, I look at that in my life and I complain sometimes about God. Why do you want so much of my stuff? But then I come back. There's no amount of stuff I could ever have that could ever pay for what God has done for me through Jesus Christ. But here's the thing I want you to look at in, in, in verse uh, 21. It says, the king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. Give me the people, the people that he's rescued, all the people from Sodom he rescued. And said, I'll take the people back to, to Sodom, but in thanks for what you've done, you keep all the stuff 
that they took from us. You keep it for yourself. But look what he says. But Abram said to King Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and have taken an oath that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread of the thong, or the thong of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. He's not saying, I can't ever receive anything from anybody. Here's what he's saying. He says, I don't want anybody to ever think that the blessings of the stuff and the possessions in my life has come from anywhere but God. He said, I am acknowledging before you and the whole world that I believe everything that I have comes from God. And therefore, everything I have belongs to God. Abraham never saw himself as the owner of any possession he had. He saw himself as a steward. He saw those as God's possessions, and he wanted to use them in God's way. I mean, that's, that's the place I have to constantly come to when I see God disrupting me to... And, and my wife are consistent tithe givers, and we believe in the giving, and we believe the Word tells us that, but God moves in us in a, a lot of different times to do more than just that. And when He's disrupting my stuff, the only way I can really open myself with liberty to Him is when I keep coming to the reality it belongs to Him anyway. It's His. And you may be thinking, well, yeah, man, but I work hard every day. I say, yeah. And God's the one that's blessed us with that work. And He's blessed us with the ability to work hard. It doesn't mean we can't ever keep anything for ourselves. But for really for me to be open to let him use my stuff. I got to constantly say, hey, it belongs to you anyway. Abram made himself available to God to use him and to use his stuff. As the band comes up quickly, there's a family here at Canton that been again attending Canton in the spring of this year. Once we opened the campus, they began to attend here, been attending regularly, and they gave us permission to use this story. But they have been praying for nine years to get the husband moved off of the night shift onto the day shift. Nine years they've been praying that, and nothing happened. And then this past fall, after they had been attending for a little while, the Lord was really dealing with them about keeping up their responsibility. In giving in their tithes. Because they would sometimes miss church, wouldn't make it every Sunday. They said they wouldn't make up the tithe when they when they came. And so they made it a point to pray, to pay first the tithe and make it a priority. Even if they miss church. Now listen to this. This is their story, okay? Right after he made, they made this decision and started honoring God with that commitment. His prayer was answered after nine years. He got moved to the day shift. And then here's an added bonus. His wife got a 20% raise at work. I mean, in a, in a, in a bad economy. 20% raise at work. And here's, here's their quote. God proved his faithfulness again, and it was awesome. Now, I don't know if you're going to get a 20% raise. And I don't know if a... Prayer after nine years is going to get answered as soon as we 
open ourselves a little bit more to what he might be saying about our stuff or about us and how he wants to use us. But I can tell you this, and you can go from Genesis to Revelation. You look at it. Wherever people open themselves to be disrupted by God and allowed him to use them and their stuff to be a blessing, man, blessing always followed. Amen. It, it is what it's all about. Blessed to be a blessing. Canton Campus, thank you for this past year of being a disrupted blessing. But our prayer now is we're going to be even more of a disrupted blessing because there's 85,000. 85,000. Now here's what I want to do in closing. If you've been attending Canton Campus for any time since we opened up, maybe maybe this is your first time to be with us and I don't want you to feel excluded, but you, you may feel a little bit, and I, and I apologize for that. But if you've been attending Canton Campus for a, any time this past year, and you know, now think about this, you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that because of this campus, God has blessed you in some tangible way you can point to, you can think of, you know immediately. Because God moved on people to open this campus, God has blessed you through this campus. If you can think of one tangible thing that maybe even if this camp, campus hadn't opened, you may not have actually had that blessing with God, but because of this campus, God has blessed you in some specific tangible way this past year. I want you to stand to your feet right now. If he has it, don't worry about it. It's not in a room. Awesome. Awesome. Look around. Look around. Look around. These are disrupted blessings. Look around. Now, I'm going to invite everybody to stand, if you would, please. Here's what I want to challenge you with. I want you to challenge you with this. I want you to just sort of think to God, God, how can you use me this year as a disrupted blessing through this, not as a disruption, but as a disrupted blessing through this campus in a way that you're not presently using me? God, how... How can you use me this year as a disrupted blessing through this campus in a way that you're not presently using me? I want you to just let that be a challenge today. And you know, when I talk about God disrupting our stuff, it isn't just about money. And it's not that God needs our money. He could be disrupting us for some of us to open up our homes maybe to be a life group or other types of things he's saying hey this this is a way i want you to be a disrupted blessing that i'm not presently using you as so we're in essence sort of inviting god to disrupt and here's the last thing we're going to do the next or it may not be the next but i think a big disruption blessing that's going to come to this campus over this next year is looking to find a permanent place. We didn't come out here to be portable forever. And Sequoia didn't take us to raise. All right? 
Not that they, they, they have been great to us. Man, they have been awesome to us. They have given us no indication they don't want us here. I mean, they have been amazing. But we never came out here to be portable forever. So we're going to be intentionally looking very hot and heavy throughout this year of a more permanent location. We have put together a relocation team, we're calling it. People that were part of our core launch team, people that have been attending since we opened this campus, some of what we call administrative elders from our Marietta campus, a team that are, we're window shopping is what we're doing. We're looking at what's in close proximity as best we can to this Sequoia campus to find what's the permanent place God is taking us to. That's going to be a disruption as we move that way. But man, think of what, if God is doing this through us to all his glory, just for a couple of hours on Sunday, think what he might can do if we got a 24-7 presence in the Canton campus, in the Canton area. And I want us to pray about that right now. And I'm going to do something to disrupt us a little bit. I'm going to invite you to take the hand of the person next to you. And I want us to go across this aisle if we can, if it's not too inconvenient. And I know that may feel a little disrupting. But I, I want us to just pray one for another. I want us to thank God for the blessings that he's provided. I want us to really just say, God, how you might want to use us as a blessing that we aren't being used right now sometime this year. And let's believe together for wisdom and discernment on where he might be taking us in terms of a permanent location. Father, I thank you. I praise you. I join with this Canton campus today. Even those that may be here for the first time and maybe right now this is a little uncomfortable for them. And I pray you just help them with that, God. But Father, right now we come together and stand together. As people you've led here, Father. I thank you for those that you've led to us as a result of us opening up out here. Those that you have, you have done great things in their lives, God. I thank you for those that have come out here, Father, to help launch this, Father. I thank you for the blessings we are already celebrating today, God. And Father God, we glorify you and honor you, Lord. And God, I pray now that every one of us are allowing you to search our hearts to show us ways that we can be a disrupted blessing. We're inviting disruption, God. Bless us in a way that, bless through us in a way that we're not presently being used. And God, now together, give us wisdom and discernment, this relocation team, our leadership team, God. As you move us to places and show us places of possible permanent location, God, open those doors and provide the means by which we can even do greater things for you, God. We're believing, God, for greater things to come like never before. For one purpose, your praise, your glory, and your honor, in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Can we give God praise?